Amen. Okay. Um, so yeah, mark in your card, turn that in later. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Genesis 50, all right? As we mentioned last week, and we're going to mention for the next couple of weeks, we're actually changing the way that we kind of handle and deliver Bibles. So uh, historically, you would have heard me say, if you have your Bibles, grab them. We'll be in Genesis 50. If you don't have them, every second and third chair, right? And you kind of tune me out. You don't listen after that, okay? Well, we're changing it, so don't tune me out on this one, okay? Uh, what we learned is that putting the Bibles on the floor is actually offensive to some people that uh, are in other faiths and even people who have no faith at all, uh, just kind of putting the Bibles there on the floor seems to be a show of disrespect to the God that we serve. Now, we know, okay, that this physical book doesn't have magic in and of itself, right? It's actually the words inside this book that breathe life into us. In fact, we saw that even on the scripture reading today, that the Holy Spirit breathes from out of this book, okay? But our desire is to create a place where everyone is able to come together unhindered, fellowship with one another, and be able to experience the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Christ. Amen? And so our desire then, because we believe that Christ is the one true God, because we believe that knowing Christ is knowing God, that we want to serve in every area with excellence. That's why we want to do everything that we do well so that we can create a space for people to be able to be unhindered and think about the Lord in profound and beautiful and new ways through the scriptures, through fellowship, through worship. Because if something as simple as where we place our Bibles would create a stumbling block for somebody to come to Christ and we don't respond to that, man, woe to us. Right? Woe to us. We need to respond and create places where people can come to know the King of kings, the Lord of lords, because in him is life and life abundantly. So we want to help people come and know Jesus. We want to be a place where people can come to know. So we change the ways that we're delivering our Bible because, man, even if it only affects one person in the next 20 years, that's well worth it. Well worth it. Amen. And so from now on, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to give out Bibles, and that's how we'll do it from here on out. And uh, so when they come forward in a second, if you need a Bible, you can just shoot your hand up, and they'll give you one, okay? Uh, last week, 18 people took Bible. Bi Bible? Bible? Okay. 18 people took Bibles. And so uh, we're a 200-people church, and so for 18 people, that's like 10%, all right? So if you need a Bible, don't feel weird to raise your hand because, man, that's great. And then if you would like to keep that Bible, that's our gift to you, okay? So ushers can come forward now. Uh, if you need a Bible, just shoot your hand up. They'll pass it down. And once again, if you need that, then you can keep that, okay? So when you get that Bible, go ahead and turn it to Genesis 50. Uh, we'll also have Bibles on the welcome table, by the way, when you come in. So you can use that as well. And then when you're done after church, uh, just put your Bible on your seat, okay? And then we'll pick it up. Uh, the servants will pick it up afterwards, all right? You can also follow along on your phone. If you have the YouVersion app underneath tab section, click on uh, events, type in the well Austin, and you can follow along that way. All the notes, all the scriptures, everything is there. We want your eyes on the word. What we just said, we sincerely believe that from this is the words of God, that through this God communicates to us. So any way that we can feast our eyes on the word, we want to do that. All right? You ready? ready. A lot of announcements there, okay? Here we go. In the word. You ready? We sure? All right, here we go. We're in the last week of Genesis, friends. That's a great thing, okay? We made it through a 50-chapter book, all right? And so next we're going to do Isaiah, a 66-chapter book. And that's how you kill a church. <laughs> uh, no, I hope it's an encouraging. We're not doing that, by the way. People are like, what? All right, uh, we're not doing that. So I hope it's an encouraging. I hope that you've seen, for real, in the book of Genesis, how really it's a grand narrative to the scriptures as a whole. That as we look at all the individual stories in the book, that really the whole narrative ties together, that God is trying to tell one story of his great affections for us and how he plans to redeem the world through himself. And so even today, he's actually still writing the story in our lives. 
In fact, one of the organizations that were in Acts 29, if you go to the book of Acts, there are only 28 chapters in Acts. Why do they name themselves Acts 29? Because God is still writing the story in our lives today. We are still a part of the redemptive plan of God. So I hope that you've been able to see that through Genesis and it's been encouraging to you. I know it has been for me. It's been convicting for me in a lot of ways and what God has done to redeem the world to himself. So we're on literally home stretch today. We're going to finish. So Genesis, uh, it's actually... We'll start in verse uh, 49, or chapter 49, and we'll pick it up there in verse 28. All right, so the previous week, if you remember, uh, Jacob was blessing his sons, and here it is. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abram, Abraham bought uh, with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. What Jake, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So Jacob blesses his sons and then he dies. This is like a super dramatic scene in some ways, right? It's like, blessings, Benjamin. Oh, right? Like that's literally what happened there, okay? So he blesses his sons, he gives this command, and he passes away. Now, there are two things here that on casual reading is actually really easy just to kind of skim over, but it really gives the theological thrust of Genesis pretty profoundly even at the end of Jacob's life. First of all, notice that Jacob was gathered to his wife Leah, the text says. He would go to his wife. Now, this may not seem like much, but if you've been with us, you remember, man, Jacob loves to play favoritisms, right? Like, you know, if you have siblings, you ask your parents, like, which one of us is your favorite? And they're like, we love you all the same, right? And you know that's not true. Like, you know your dad kind of favors your brother a little bit more or something. Well, Jacob had no problem telling who his favorites were, all right? He let it be loud and clear. And so over and over, we see this favoritism. Well, if you remember, he also had a favorite wife. It was Rachel. In fact, Leah was kind of nothing to him in some ways. And so even in this text, look at what it says. Sarah, his wife right? Rebecca, his wife, and Leah, hyphen. Dang, bro, <laughs> right? Like he couldn't even call her my wife because literally he had disassociated that and actually never called her that in the scriptures after the first day of marriage. And so he is disassociated. So why not then be buried with Rachel, his favorite wife? Why not be buried with the woman that he loves instead of this woman who he can't even call his wife in those ways? Well, it's because Rachel was buried somewhere random, when she birthed Benjamin, she died and they had to bury her randomly. But Leah was actually buried with Jacob's father in the promised land. So what is this showing? Jacob actually cared more about being buried with his people in the promised land than he did being buried with the ones that he loved. Because Jacob believed that God's promises were assuredly going to come true. He believed that God would fulfill the things that he promised that he would fulfill. So rather than being buried somewhere random, he would choose to be buried with the one that was not even his favorite, that he didn't even sincerely love because he really did believe that God was going to respond to his promises. What does that show us? Well, it shows us that Jacob is forward-facing. 
Jacob is forward-facing. He's looking forward. He's looking ahead to the future. He trusts that God is going to fulfill his promise that is given to Abraham, that has been given to Isaac, that has been given to him, and God is going to fulfill it no matter what. And so even upon his death, you see Jacob trusting in and believing in God's promise to come. He's looking forward, knowing what God is going to do. Now, secondly, the second thing that we see in this text is actually how it ended. It says, and he was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. Jacob is forward-facing. He's trusting that God's going to fulfill his promises on earth. But Moses, the author, is also forward-facing because he trusts that God is going to fulfill his promise eternally. Because being given to his people is not like an abonics way of saying he hung out with his boys, Right? What it's actually saying is that he was gathered to Abraham, to Isaac, to Rachel, to Rebekah, to the saints. He was gathered into heaven. That he went to be with his true people, with the people that he loves for eternity. Notice that it doesn't even say Jacob died. It just says he breathed his last right? Moses is trying to show us this forward-facing mentality that this was not the end, that this was not the end of Jacob's life or his legacy, that just because he physically died in the body did not mean that he spiritually died. And in fact, he didn't even really die. He went to go be with his people, which is an eternal forward-facing promise. Moses is also forward-facing, showing us something greater to come. So Jesus was actually approached by a people group named the Sadducees in the New Testament who did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was a, a second life in some ways, that this life was all that there was, they would say. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to them, and he's referencing our boy Jacob here. And here's what he says, verse 29. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, Jacob is not dead he's saying. No, Jacob is alive. He is alive and well that Jacob is now living eternally. And Moses got that in some ways, that he had hope not just for the physical future of Israel, but also for the eternal future of the people of God in general, that he would be gathered to his people just as we can be to our people one day as well. So there's hope in this for the physical promises of God that take place on earth. And there's also hope for the future promises of God that take place eternally. Come on now, I'm about to punch something and we're in the middle, the beginning of the sermon, right? Like this is a good news, y'all. This is good news. And what happens is, is that we close our hearts to the realities of eternity because it's something that we can't fully touch. And so we only focus on what is here and now, but the scripture over and over and over again commands us to be forward facing, to look for something that is to come. Though we cannot see it or taste it or even touch it, the hope that we have fills our hearts and turns our emotions and we are able to get glimpses, those shadows, glimpses of the future. And Jacob lived his life like this and Moses is writing in such a way to get our minds to think like this, to dwell like this, that there is something more to come. Even more, our eternal future in Christ is secure, he says. And so what's this mean for us? Well, we can have hope for the physical and for the eternal as well, right? Like, like think about some of the promises that God has given us, right? Like even like the promises of his church, that he will build his church. I mean, isn't that true? Because we're all sitting in here, a part of the church. But when Jesus said that promise, there were 11 dudes, scared, right? Nervous, 
not even believing. But Jesus said, no, 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 I will do it. And he did because people gave their lives to it because they believed in the promise to come. And so we too can believe in the physical promises of God for the earth here today, but also the eternal promises of God, the future promises of God as well, because God is faithful. God is faithful, friends. And so the good news is that our hearts can begin to dwell in eternity because even more than Jacob, we actually have seen glimpses of eternity as we watch Christ physically resurrect from the dead. They had no physical resurrection. There was no way for them to conceptualize it. But for us, we've seen that he has already accomplished it through his son and then promises that he will accomplish it through us as well. Now, just to reemphasize this point, the text goes on and really kind of slams this hone a couple of more times. So what happens is the rest of Genesis 50, they have this long funeral process, all right? It's kind of a lot of a pomp and, and glam because Jacob was a powerful, important person, both for Israel and for Egypt, because uh, uh, Joseph's position in Egypt is second in charge. So the important part is that they actually show him going back into the promised land, and they show him going back to be buried with Leah to fulfill God's promises, However, in the midst of that, the brothers are like, uh-oh, the father's dead, and now Joseph might kill us. And so they come up with this little lie, and they say, hey, let's actually say that the father said, hey, not to harm us, and once he passes away, to kind of forgive us, which, like, what type of terrible lie is that, right? Like, my daughter can lie better than that, okay? Like, <laughs> why would Jacob tell the brothers and not tell Joseph directly, okay? And so we see this, that there's already this, like, uh-oh, what's going to happen, okay? And we pick it up there in uh, chapter 50, verse 17. It says, toward the end there of 17, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of, of the God of your father. And Jacob wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. For, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So here we go again. Verse 20 is really the theme, if you will, of the whole book of Genesis. And we would make it good to be the theme of our lives. That what has been planned for evil, God uses for good, as Romans 8.28 would remind us as well. How is Joseph, though, able to maintain this perspective? Well, there's a little phrase in there that's really important. It says, as they are today. Do you see that at the end? Most people know Genesis 50 verse 20, but they know that God takes bad and uses it for good. But they miss that phraseology at the end there. That what he's saying is that even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of all the suffering, even at the midst of the brother's betrayal, that he trusted God. He knew that God was faithful. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that God would know what he was doing. So he submitted himself to God and that plan. And because of that, God was showing forth to be faithful. He could believe in the promises of God. If you've been with us in the story of Genesis, you know that that's Joseph's life. Right, like, like this verse taken out of context may not show that, but man, if you've been studying Joseph, he believed this, right? Like he would submit himself to the promise of God over and over and over again because he knew that God was faithful. And so in many ways, Joseph was just like Jacob and that he was forward facing. Joseph was always looking ahead into the promise of God. Joseph was looking for what was to come. We could say it like this, when hit with struggle and suffering, even at the hand of his own brothers, he trusted God's prior promises, knowing they would lead to a future good. 
He trusted God's prior promises, knowing that they would lead to a future good. The text of Genesis ends like this, verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Makar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And as Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Once again, what do we see with Joseph? He is believing in the promises of God, right? He's actually leading his sons in a moment of discipleship to make his sons be forward-facing as well. So Joseph is kind of encouraging his sons, hey, look, you look for the promises of God too. You look for the future of God too. You don't just focus on what's here in front of you, but actually be looking ahead because God is going to come visit you. Not might, not if you do these certain things, no. God promised it already to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and so God is going to fulfill what he said that he's going to do. When he comes, then carry my bones with you. When he comes, bring me back into the promised land because God is going to fulfill both his eternal promise to us that we shall dwell forever with him, but even his physical promise on earth. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with that chapter, you know that's uh, often called the hall of faith, we call it, right? So in sports, you have the hall of fame. These are like the greats that have done great things, and we look at their stats and stuff. Well, Hebrews 11 is like the hall of faith, all right? And so they name all these patriarchs that did all these awesome things, and they name actually our boys here, Jacob and Joseph. And look what they say to them, starting in verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Jacob, all the things that he's done, wrestled with God, believed in God's promise to go back into the promised land, uh, uh, able to forgive Esau and reconcile there, able to bestow the promises of God, Joseph being faithful in the dungeon and faithful before Pharaoh, all of the moments of faith that has happened, This is what's highlighted in the book of Hebrews, that Jacob was forward-facing. He blessed his sons knowing that God was going to establish Israel. And Joseph was forward-facing saying, take my bones into the promised land. More than all other moments of faith that we've seen, the author of Hebrews says, man, this is when they showed faith. This is when it became true because they were forward-facing. They believed in something they could not yet taste or touch or establish But they knew that God was going to uh, make good on his promises. They looked to the future trusting God's promise. I love that Genesis doesn't just end, but it actually ends with us looking forward. It ends with us being forward-facing. It ends with us trying to remember, hey, look, God is faithful to his promises. God is going to do what he said that he is going to do. There's something better. There's a a better future, a grander future, a more beautiful future, future. Look toward that. Genesis says, look toward what is going to come, right? This is what God always does. I mean, think about Jesus' last words on earth. We have in Matthew 28, for example, what we call the Great Commission, right? 
And he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What is this? He's telling us to be forward-facing for his promise here on earth, right? That he will establish his church, that he will make disciples, that the nations will hear about who he is. So go, believing this, look to the future, act in this promise. God is going to make disciples of the world. And then what does he say? And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So also be thinking about eternity. Also realize that it's not just this earth, but it's also the one to come as well, that there will be an eternal future, that one day you will be with me, I will be with you, Jesus says, and look toward that end. We will be together forever. And so all throughout the scriptures, we see God calling us to look toward the future, not just in the present. And so how do we apply then Genesis 50? Why does it end like this? How do we make sense of this even in our lives today? Well, I think it's really simple. We be forward-facing, right? Both in the physical and also in the spiritual or the eternal, if you will. I mean, think about all the earthly problems that you face today, right? Like, like maybe you really need a new job. Maybe you are struggling with uh, uh, relationships. Maybe you are struggling with money. Maybe uh, the government is giving you all sorts of uh, uh, freak out moments in your heart, right? Like maybe friendship, whatever it may be. Are those not all present problems? Are they not all able to be resolved if we are forward facing as a people? I mean, Jesus said this himself, right? If you flip over actually to Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about just this. And he talks about anxiety and, and anxiousness and, and worries and troubles and tomorrow. And he says this at the end in verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't look toward the present. Look for the future, toward the kingdom of God, toward, toward, toward something greater, something better, something grander. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus and the scriptures commanding us to, to look forward, to be forward-facing. Jacob and Joseph, they believed this, and they believed in the physical uh, promise of God that he would establish Israel and through Israel bring redemption to the nations, but they also believe in the eternal promises of God. Or Moses tries to direct us that, man, no, no, these guys are still alive. Jesus says, hey, I'm a God of the living, right? They are alive right now. They did not die in some ways. And so with the physical, like think about even some of the promises of God. Like let's say the promise of the church, right? Like God promised that the gates of hell would not overcome the church, that Satan himself and all of his ferocity raised up against the church, it would not be overcome, Christ said. Can we believe in that promise then? He then said that he's given us gifts to build up the church. He calls us ambassadors, that he will uh, uh, win the people who do not know him to himself, that they will be sheep that will hear his voice and respond. And he gives us all these promises about building up the church. I mean, we could act in confidence with that, can't we? We can have faith to be forward-facing, to know the promises of God, they are true. They are true. And that the gates of hell will not overcome them, that they can not be shaken by the powers of this world, that we can actually reflect the glory of God. And not just the well, but the church universal, right? That no matter where we are, we are a part of the body and that we can establish it throughout the world, that the whole world would hear about the glory of the gospel and then the king would come. We know that this will actually happen. 
because he's proven it because I'm assuming in a congregation this big, there may only be a couple of Jewish people. And what started there, it said, no, 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 the, the Gentiles will get it too. And it will spread to the ends of the earth. And we are on the other side of the world from where it started. Yet here we are worshiping the king of all kings because God is faithful to his promise. In fact, the reason that you're sitting here is because people before us believed in this and they gave their lives up for it so that the church will be established so that we can sing, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord, right? They believed in the promise to come. So we can do that too. We can believe in God's promise. We can press forward literally being a part of God's redemptive plan to the world. Like, this is what Jacob and Joseph got. They were a part of God's redemptive plan. They believed it, so we get to be a part of that too. Now, we may not be around long enough to see the well, say, plant hundreds and hundreds of churches, right? I mean, but was Jacob and Joseph around to see Israel established? In some ways, didn't that make their sacrifice even greater? (laughs) Because they believed in what was to come without even being able to see it, just trusting God's promise to be true. And so we too can use our gifts to build up the body, right? And this is just a church. We can go all sorts of different examples here. But God is faithful to his promise. He will do what he said that he is going to do. We can be forward-facing, working for the kingdom practically here and now. And then what about the spiritual, friends? Like, like, do you believe that heaven is real, (laughs) right? Like not just a cheesy Christian book title, but like a literal reality, right? That like... Jesus is actually seated right now in eternity on his throne, reigning over all, and you will one day be with him. This is unbelievable. And because we can't see it, it's so hard to to grasp it and to contextualize it. But over and over and over again, the scriptures promises that this is true that we will be gathered to the people of God, that we will one day have no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. I mean, isn't that good news right now for what we just talked about? That one day all things will be restored. That one day all things will be made right. This is true, friends. And the scriptures plead with us to believe this truth. Genesis, this book about the beginning, makes us think about the end because it wants us to be forward-facing, to think about God and who he is. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, I wanna just look at a couple of passages that Jesus said, because I love these passages. In John chapter five, verse 24, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Okay, in John chapter 8, verse 51, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He will never see death. John chapter 11, verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so just as uh, 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 Joseph and, and Jacob were just gathered to the people, friends, the scriptures say that you will not die. I, I mean, can you... Right? I know it's little, but can you read that? (laughs) You will never see death. You won't die. The thing that we are terrified of, the scriptures say will never happen to us. It tells us to be forward-facing, looking for heaven, because we pass from death into life immediately. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the famous chapter, Paul would say it like this toward the end of that. In verse 55, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be forward-facing, know that you won't face death, and when you do that, then you will work for the physical promises here because you believe that God will establish, and one day you will be with him. This is an unbelievable promise, friends, right? Death, where are you? You have no more reign over us. The Christian can literally mock at death because the sinless one died for us that we may live forever. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth. And all throughout the scriptures, it's beckoning our hearts to believe this truth. It's beckoning us to believe in the promises of God that literally right now we can serve the Lord recklessly because we know his promise will come true and that one day we will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never taste death. This is a wonderful promise. King's Kaleidoscope had a new album that came out uh, two weeks ago and it had a song in there which I love and I just put the lyrics up on here and my voice is literally just giving out right now. It's okay. So I'm not going to sing any of it, all right? I'm going to read it, though. And this is him talking about sin and death and Satan. He says, don't you know that I'm defended? I will never die. It's a battle that you can't win. This love, it keeps me alive. And I will never have to die a death. My final breath gives birth to life. And I will rise up resurrected, my past and future in Christ. You will never feel my freedom, the embrace of life. Know the power of a new life where fear and faith can collide. You'll never see me in the fallen depths. My soul is kept in paradise. Until I rise up resurrected, I'm right here, right now, alive. And I can hear the beat of heaven, feel the pulse of life. In my blood and in my future, it keeps my feet in the fight. You'll never see me in the fallen depths. My soul is kept in paradise. Until I rise up resurrected, I'm right here, right now, alive. How do we stay focused on the mission of God? How do we stay focused on the future of God? How do we make it through the suffering that we're experiencing right now, friends? I mean, aren't you tired of the suffering that you're in? How do we make it through that? We're forward-facing. We are a people that have a hope. We are not without hope. We are forward-facing, looking for the promise of God, remembering that God has proven true to every single one of his promises that are in Scripture. Why would he fail on this one? We look forward knowing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And this keeps your feet in the fight, they sang in that song. This believing, this keeps me grounded, running for Christ, knowing that there is a greater future. I actually love that the last word in the book of Genesis is the word Egypt. It even reads like that in English. But in the Hebrew, you had to do some kind of uh, uh, gymnastics to be able to write that as the last word. Why? Because they weren't prone to, I mean, their suffering is going to come, right? Egypt is not a friend of Israel. In fact, they enslave Israel. They oppress Israel. There is all this suffering. It's the last word, but it's in the midst of being forward-facing and saying God is going to come to his people. And see, even us, when we are in the midst of our Egypt and we're in the midst of our suffering, our sin, our hurting, God is going to come to his people. You, if you believe in Jesus, God is going to come. He's going to deliver us. Now, there's a most splendid parallel that happens at the end, okay? I'm going to wrap up thinking about this. 
because actually the Hebrew word for coffin and the Hebrew word for ark are the exact same word, okay? And the Israelites, they actually carried Joseph's coffin when God did indeed come to Israel or to Egypt and deliver them, just as God will come and deliver us. So they, he did, he fulfilled his promise. And the brothers, the, the sons of Joseph, they carried around Joseph's bone in what's called a coffin. And they also carried around the Ten Commandments, the, the words of God, life in an ark. And it's the same Hebrew word. And Bruce Walkie says this. It says, later Jewish tradition did not miss the parallel between Joseph being placed in an Aram and the two tablets of the Decalogue being placed in an Aram, Deuteronomy 10.5. All the time in the desert, Israel carried two shrines with them, the one in the coffin containing the bones of the dead man Joseph and the other, the ark of containing the covenant of the living God. The wayfarers who saw the receptacles wondered, and they would ask, how does the ark of the dead come next to the ark of the ever-living? The answer was, the dead man enshrined, and the one fulfilled the commandments enshrined in the other. The dead man's faith paved way for life. The dead man's belief in his sacrifice, it made life possible for that generation of Israelites. And friends, don't you see the beautiful, ironic truth of that? That generations later, a greater Joseph would come. And that that dead man's faith would pave life for all who were to come after him. See, Jesus, because he believed in the promises of God, because Jesus, like Joseph, because he was forward-facing, because he looked to eternity, because he believed that God was going to fulfill his promise, he gave his life up, he sacrificed for the mission of God so that you and I may now be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. This is Jesus who believes this. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that uh, uh, Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. What does it say? The joy set before him. He was forward-facing. He was looking for the promises that were to come. He was remembering that God will prove to be true. He will prove to be faithful. And because of that, he was able to suffer death, yes, even death on a cross. Why? Because he loved you, friends. You were the promise that he was looking towards. Jesus would do whatever it takes that you may be brought into the kingdom. And so Jesus believed in the promises of God and walked into death, did whatever it takes, paid the penalty for our unbelief that we may walk in freedom with God. He tasted death that you might never taste it, friends. See, when he said you will never die, he knows that that's true because he himself would die on your behalf. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in God, then, then Christ came and he did taste the sting of death. As the spear pierced him in the side, so he felt the piercing effects of death. And as the serpent bit the heel of Christ and, and you felt literally the poisons of death come into him as he crushed the serpent's head to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3, Jesus tasted that you would never have to taste it, friends. He was forward-facing. He believed the promises of God. He believed the truth. And so all throughout Scripture, I hope you feel this over and over and over again, we can believe in the present promises of God because he's always came true on his word. And we can believe in the future promises of God because Jesus Christ showed us that we can. He died on the cross that, that you may have life and life forever. And so, friends, if, if you don't know Jesus then I pray literally today that you would submit your life to him, 
that you would make him Lord and King over your life. And when you place your faith in Jesus, the scriptures say this mysterious thing happens that though you do indeed deserve to die, though you do deserve to, to face the effects of your sin, that Christ actually absorbed that for you, that he died, that you may never die. And every single person who has ever placed faith in Christ, listen to me, they have never died. They have never died. In fact, John Piper, who is pastor up in Minnesota, he said he's done hundreds and hundreds of funerals, or um, uh, been beside hundreds and hundreds of deathbeds. And he said that when he's beside the deathbed of somebody who doesn't know the Lord, that he literally begins to see the agony of death set in. And that as they are passing from death to death, you can see it all over them. He said, but when he's beside the bed of a believer, you literally see the suffering, the agony, and then all of a sudden, as they begin to pass into this life, into the eternal one, he said, you can feel the joy that comes out of it. You can feel they are not dying, friends. They are living forever because the one who was supposed to live forever died for you. Friends, this is the truth that is before us and in front of us. I know that's hard to believe because we can't see eternity, but that's what Joseph and Jacob are showing us. Believe in the promise that is to come. And so I pray that if you're a believer, that you would trust the promises of God, that you would give your life for the promises of God. And that if you don't know Jesus, that you would make him your king, that you would never have to experience death. I love you guys. Let's pray.